Today, I'm so pleased to introduce you to Karishma, an Indian-born woman who relocated to Australia when she married two years ago. Today, Karishma is teaching us about halva, an Indian sweet served at celebration times, made from whole wheat flour, ghee, and simple sugar water. Although the ingredients are basic, the process is not. But Karishma's grandmother, who cooked many years for a household of 20 people, perfected this recipe in a way Karishma believes very few have perfected it. Karishma's grandmother often brought this dish to the temple as an offering, where others would receive it and bring it home as a symbol that, quote, no one who seeks blessing will leave empty-handed. Now, to Karishma, Halva is an embodiment of nostalgia and the love of her grandmother. And like her grandmother, Karishma now makes the dish in large quantities, not only for celebrations, but whenever she or her family crave it. Please take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then join me in welcoming Karishma. Oh, and one final note, this episode was actually recorded in July. So what's it like in Australia? It's it's winter, isn't it? Yes, it's winter and it gets really, really cold. I, I'm loving it. Uh, oh, you like the cold. Yes. So Australia has a very varied climate throughout the eight states. We have period for extreme winter. So we are in the month of July, which is the, so the average temperature even drops down to three degrees at nights. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And the daytime temperatures is mostly around 13 degrees. So it's, it's very pleasant and all the, all the more sunny as in sunny and pleasant at the same time during the days, but it's, it's very very nice to be in such a weather. Oh, yeah. Well, it's very hot and humid where we are in the deep <laughs> area, but I still think I might prefer that to the cold. I just don't love the cold. It really surprises me that it gets so cold there. I think of it as this really hot and arid desert-like place. And I think of all these terrible, evil, scary creatures thriving there. Every time I read these world's scariest creatures, books with my kids, they're talking about them being in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Even before when I moved to Australia, even I was terrified. So I I had looked up Australia on the internet and on videos. Growing up, we used to watch Discovery and National Geographic channels. And they they used to inform us saying that Australia is full of cockroaches, crocodiles, (laughs) and all sorts of scary creatures on earth. But when you come here it's it's not the same it's it's beautiful and it's not it's not that scary after all it's very diverse and it's beautiful yeah Mm, people and I guess people know how to cope and I'm just surprised that they thrive in the winter oh yes so I also wanted to share this tiny bit of information with you so you know how the whole world uh, and most of the western countries uh, celebrate Christmas in December yeah so we have Christmas in July. In Australia, they do Christmas in July. Really? Because they associate yes. Christmas more with the cold and winter and snow. And yes, ice exactly. Because <gasps> that's where people can experience real winters. So they actually have a theme going on. It's, it's actually July. Today is the last day um, of July where they decorate the city with the Christmas theme, the snow theme, and they have markets going on where people come and visit and they have a very gala time with their family and friends. Last year when I was 
years i experienced what is real christmas in july this year due to covid it has been restricted and it's happening mm-hmm. on a very small scale but it is really beautiful that i i just i can't even quite wrap my head around that it's <laughs> amazing now for people who actually celebrate it religiously would they go to church on like july 25th well i get like if they were going to a christmas eve service i guess would they go mm-hmm. july 24th or december 24th Uh, that I'm not sure of, but uh, oh. just to add to the the color and the whole feel of Christmas, yeah. because it's so cold and the temperatures drop down to say two degrees or three degrees, they just dress the city up with Christmas themes. In actual December's, where the whole world is celebrating Christmas, people in Australia would be sunbathing at Bondi Beach because December yeah. is the hottest month in Australia. <laughs> Right, isn't that it's just amazing to me? I think I always there's something I just love about it because you tend to think that whatever you're stuck in is so permanent, like it's so easy for me to not be able to see past my circumstances. And there's something about hopping on Instagram and seeing, you know, Australia dressed up like Christmas right now and snow that just makes me think, ah, oh, you're living in such a Like the world's so much bigger and than than where you're living, you know. I'm. It's I'm amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, it really is. So, um, that's just something else. I love it. No. So, what do what do I? I just have to stay on this for one second. What do New Year's celebrations look like in the heat? Then that's got to look a lot different there. So New Year's is a highlight for the fireworks. So which is actually happens, you know, on a very grand scale. People from all over the world travel to Australia to just to see the fireworks. Mm-hmm. So in Sydney, where I'm based, at the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge, they have special fireworks going on, which is mm-hmm. a unique and a highlight point in Australia for New Year's. Have you been? Yes, twice. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I can imagine the experience of going to a big fireworks display in the middle of summer. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, It's amazing I'm- how the world is, you know, so diverse and uh, we are all based in different parts of the world but still we are connected if I yes. if I may say. I I agree. I agree and it really is this just like a uh, cycle that we all go through exactly. and you're reminded of it when you're sitting there saying it's so cold and I'm you know i've already got my sleeves shoved up on my arms just to <laughs> get a little more skin under the fan you know <laughs> so i would love to i'm always in awe of people like you that decide to make a whole new life in a whole new country it's so opposite of myself i live 15 minutes from where i grew up oh that's wonderful <laughs> It, i there's a richness i think to the life you live as well although there's loss you know so i'd love to just start since we're even talking about the weather just start like by comparing australia with your country of origin and yes. we can compare you know kind of superficial things and then hopefully we'll get like deeper and deeper into the comparisons tell me tell me about india where you grew up so i come from a city called nagpur in india mm-hmm. it's called the city of oranges um, we oh. yeah it's the speciality for oranges from from nagpur actually we have lot of exports going on uh, to other parts of the world and to geographically locate my city it would be exactly central part of india oh wow yeah so If you want to compare Nagpur to Australia uh, climatic conditions I would say it was it's it's actually 
the same because my city is also famous for its extreme climatic conditions so we have extreme winters we have extreme summers so it wasn't much of a change when i moved to australia mm. but but there are other dissimilarities or if i may say them there are other differences which of course comes with culture and mm. people mhm i can only imagine i'm actually looking right here I see it. I'm looking in Wikipedia at Nagpur. Oh, it really is right there in the center, isn't it? It's like exactly. all roads lead to Nagpur. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So very landlocked. It is. And it's it's considered the safest part because it's not prone to floods or earthquake. It's it's the safest part. <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. I'm trying to look at a picture of the orange groves. Like did you would you just ride by them were they beautiful oh it, they are very beautiful but i'll i'll tell you the funny bit so we have the most exports from nagpur so that's where the nagpurians don't get to have themselves <laughs> oh. so we are deprived of the oranges because it's exported oh. to other parts <laughs> oh really that's kind of sad does that bother you No I mean it was based like on a joke I mean it's not that bad but you know if you don't get it in extreme it's it's given outside but you got to satisfy your family first you know right 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 it's like that old you know there's an old saying I don't know if you've if you've heard it the cobbler's children have no shoes but it's not that bad just joking and you know putting some humor to it that's so funny <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your life growing up who did you live with where did you go to school tell me about that so i grew up as i said in nagpur and we used to live in a joint family of eight members back then it was the culture and tradition of joint families and families living together extended families cousins so it was a very merry and colorful uh, mm. period of my life the eight of us were together and that was enough we did not need anyone else i have so, great memories who were the eight people in the home i lost my grandfather when i was very young so there is my grandmother my mom and dad my brother my uncle and aunt and my sister we three siblings were each other's best company we played together and were inseparable okay and your uncle and aunt how were they related to your parents so essentially uh, my father and his brother okay so so his family okay and so is that typical to live in the husband that's the indian home? culture yeah okay. that's the indian culture usually the wives uh, leave their homes behind uh, so okay. it's it's more of a culture thing where we start a family with our husbands and you know ad- adapt and make their families our own like a joint venture if you may say yeah <laughs> yeah and i always i always wonder i when i've had guests come on who describe this as a child it's i love that you use the word merry <laughs> it yes. was just a happy joyful time which is understandable for children you know they were they're always occupied and yeah. have attention and you know there's always someone to put a bandaid on the scraped knee you know do you exactly. think do you think it's the same for the adults or do you think there's more challenges for adults 
it can get challenging at times because everyone is an adult and everyone has to adjust to everyone's point of view and thinking so there i would say yes the adults have to adjust but they come to a certain point of understanding where the larger interest and the family comes first mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah i see i see so tell me a little bit about this grandmother oh so my grandmother is 73 i call her mama she is the master chef of the recipe that we are going to talk about yes. which i hold very very close to my heart did she do most of the cooking in the home okay so to give a background of my grandmother she has uh, raised a family she was the primary cook and she told me stories of you know where she she would cook food together for 20 people in in a day so okay. she's raised children of her own of yeah. her brother-in-law and extended family and mm. so she's she's been there for everyone and most of the yeah. times even when like i i remember in my childhood as well she was almost every day involved in cooking mm. she likes to do it she la- she does it out of love and because she's so good at it and she it's, it's like a second nature i mean mm. she just enjoys it yeah well and you say the 20 people cuz i guess i'm thinking <laughs> i mean i'm taking the snapshot of your grandmother right where she was the matriarch but at some point she left her home and went and lived with her husband and there yes. was probably a large family there that she had to care for yes she did she tells me sometimes you know that this generation is doing nothing as compared to what we have done and how much we we have worked i mean yeah i mean i can't imagine myself cooking every day for 20 people yeah <laughs> it's too much of a job for me but yeah generation was different times were different struggles were different back then and we are living in a different time mm mhm mhm now for her time would all of the women in the home go into the kitchen and cook together or was it like her particular yeah. job no yeah it was it was mostly every like all women cooked together but my grandmother was mostly involved in it because she was the best <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i guess that can be that can be a bonus for an extended family like that i guess in an ideal world you would have differing gifts and everyone could kind of spend the time on the thing that they were good at um I guess it's also possible to end up in a family where everybody likes to cook but nobody likes to do the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> okay, okay. And so you were there with your cousins? Yes. So I have a cousin sister who who I usually I mean I don't consider as my cousin. We three children have been brought up together as real siblings. So mm-hmm. Uh, my sister is the one who is again another f- lover of this halwa uh, mm-hmm. made by my grandmother so we both cherish and loved this halwa that my grandmother made for us mm, okay so let's talk about the halwa a little bit um <laughs> so first of all for people who are listening can you describe it to them the flavor and the texture yeah this halwa is a sweet or a dessert that you know it is made of whole wheat flour mm-hmm. it's essentially made in ghee the mm-hmm. clarified butter yep this ghee is the primary ingredient that adds the whole flavor to the dessert this yes. is also sweetened with sugared water now i mm-hmm. don't want to call it sugar syrup because 
for the syrup, you need to stir it and you need to thicken it. But that's not the idea in this one. You just I, I have found to that dissolve. very interesting in the recipe. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You just have to dissolve the sugar in water, making sure that you don't see the crystals. Mm-hmm. And it's the most simplest of recipes, but you have to cook it with a lot of patience to get it perfect. Okay. Okay. I agree with you. So I made it last night and I agree with you. It's that ghee gives it so much richness because you brown, the, it's a brown yes. butter, you know, so exactly. it brings out, oh, such a wonderful, wonderful flavor. So, well, let me, if you don't mind, I want to go ahead and ask my questions about making it now. Um, of so, course. <laughs> so first <laughs> of all, I... I've been very intimidated by a lot of recipes that people have given me, but I've never been terrified. (laughs) I'm so sorry I scared you with this team part. (laughs) I was absolutely terrified (laughs) to make this recipe. So that's my first and foremost question. I'm going to just read this for listeners. And so then you can tell me a little bit more about it. So you make the syrup, like you said, although like you said, you don't reduce it down, which was a really good tip. That was very helpful. And a key part of it is actually cooking the water off later in the process. So that was great. Exactly. And then you just, again, you almost like, I don't want to say fry, but you brown the flour Mm -hmm. in the ghee. And then I'm Mm -hmm. just going to read what you wrote. At this stage, add the syrup and on slow flame, cook till it absorbs all the water. All capitals. Caution. Be very (laughs) careful at this step. All capitals. Very slowly add the syrup from a distance. Wear mittens as a precaution as the pan would be very hot and Adding water to it may cause the hot steam to blow. (laughs) And I was terrified. (laughs) So tell me about this step. What can happen? So I'll start with the basic recipe and not to terrify you and we yeah. gradually transition <laughs> into that terrifying part. Okay. So it's it's very simple. We just need four ingredients to this recipe. That is the ghee, the flour, uh, sugar and water. Mm-hmm. All in the ratio one is to one is to one is to two. Mm-hmm. And now the sugared water is very easy to make. Just ensure that uh, the sugar dissolves in water and just put it aside. And then you take the flour and the ghee, uh, you stir it. And the idea is to, you know, stir it and simmer it patiently, just to be cautious of not turning it dark brown, just yeah. leaving it golden brown mm-hmm. so that it doesn't become dark, ex- extremely dark brown because it is prone to get burnt very quickly. So you have to be very patient and always to be attentive while making this. When I was making it last night, I thought, oh, I don't, I think you can only make this with ghee. I don't think you could make this with regular non-clarified butter. It has to be ghee. It yeah, it, it, it was because all of those more sensitive parts have been filtered away. You really can cook it for a long time and develop that flavor. I was pretty impressed with that, actually. Yes, it's a slow cooking dish mm-hmm. where you have to be really patient and wait for the flavors and the aroma to just go into your house and every everywhere mm-hmm. you're living. <laughs> mm-hmm. Permeate. <laughs> Permeate is the word, yes. <laughs> so yeah, coming to the terrifying part. So I would share an interesting uh, incident with you, which is why I cautioned everyone who tries this recipe. So it was just last month where I was trying to make this recipe for 
in good amounts because we were visiting a few friends and i made it in huge amounts and i was not very careful at this step where i had i had to add water the the sugared water i just carelessly handled the vessel and just just moved the lid in a way that the steam suddenly blew up and i actually saved myself from a big mishap i and i i i want to tell you that i'm very prone to burning myself while working in the kitchen oh. i already have three burn marks on my hands oh, which is not gosh. which is not <laughs> huge i mean it's just accidents that happen that's why i get really cautious when it comes to burning myself and handling uh, things that burn very easily <laughs> oh my but it sounds like in your case you actually had the lid partially on yes oh. yes and i didn't know that it would just blow up like that so i oh. moved the lid and i added the water because it was so hot it it condensed and it was like poop <laughs> yes no that okay that does make sense because i added with without a lid on which is that it oh that space. makes the difference very okay, good so actually i did not know do you cook part of this with the lid i never had the lid no lid i didn't have the time. lid on as well but it was very hot the whole vessel was really hot so mm-hmm. i added the water in huge amounts together you have to add it really really slowly yeah that's the key Yeah, I oh I did. I did. <laughs> Anytime you really started to get, you know, excited there in the pot, I was like, "Okay, slow down. I'll give you a minute to settle down and then I would pour a little back in." <laughs> I'm cowering as I <laughs> as I put it in. So, that went fine. I think all of that went well and then the only thing is I have a suspicion that I did not cook mine long enough. So what texture mm-hmm. are you trying to achieve? How uh liquid should it be and how like moldable should it be? Mm-hmm. So you're looking to have a sandy and a grainy texture. It shouldn't be watery, it shouldn't be too dry. Okay. And you you're looking at a rich golden brown color. Okay. And should it hold it shape like i noticed yours was yes. kind of a dome shape it should be like a pudding yes it should, it should be, be like, like a pudding. pudding like it'll it, if you pour it in a bowl it'll take the shape of a bowl you know okay it's, yeah. it's like that uh, also another key to understand if it is done or no is when the ghee starts oozing out from the sides okay so that's when you know it's and also the sandy grainy texture is achieved okay Okay. Yeah, I think when I go back I would cook it a little bit longer. Okay. And then what what do you normally serve it with? I noticed you had some nuts on top. Oh yeah, it uh, if you want to make it more richer, uh, people do add dry fruits in it like almonds, cashews or any dry fruits you like. Mm-hmm. But I usually prefer it without dry fruits. It's it's the best to for me to have it as it is mm-hmm. uh on the side you can also it's usually paired with so you know fried breads mm-hmm. fried so that's how it's usually paired with and also um uh, what is it called black chana black oh. lentils yeah oh really with that yes so in auspicious on auspicious occasions in india this is usually the combination that is mostly served it's more like a offering like yeah. uh, when my grandmother used to go and te- offer it in temples and gurudwaras mhm okay so yeah. tell me a little bit about that about the religion and the beliefs around that that your grandmother observed 
this uh, halwa essentially is like you know very sacred to the sikh community and the punjabi culture so okay sikh and punjabi so yeah. are those both religions or is one a religion and one yeah, a people sikh group yeah sikh is a religion okay. punjabi is the culture so the punjabi is the culture surrounding the sikh religion exactly yes okay i didn't know that okay yeah so the gurudwara is their place of worship Mm-hmm. where this is uh, the halwa is usually given as a prasad or a offering which holds special importance it's prepared fresh daily in gurudwaras and you know whoever comes to pray are offered that prasad as a sign of blessing and reassuring that no one goes empty handed who come to seek blessings oh, it's it's okay. a very simple and humble dish but mm-hmm. burst bursting with flavors and a very addictive taste well i do agree that that ghee gets such a rich earthy beautiful layered flavor it really does so i want to make sure i understand so it sounds like so your grandmother would make this and take it to the temple and offer it but then it was other people who would come to the temple that would receive it Yeah if if you want you can make it in huge amounts which she usually did so that other people could have it like it's a, it's like a good deed that other people are having your food oh. your offering so do people go to the temple it's almost like if they are hungry they would go to the temple and they would be fed or is it more like a communal meal that they would enjoy with the No if you just if you're just going to worship as well you would get this yeah Yeah, so I've wondered about that before. I've had people tell me about offerings and I'm always kind of like, well, what do they do with the food? But they eat it because it's you yes. go to worship together. Yes, it's never gone for a waste. It's always given to people and it's it's appreciated that way. Okay. Is there a service? Is it a religious service or is it more come and go? So it's more of uh, you go and worship you offer your prayers and then when you're leaving the temple or the gurudwara in this case you would be given this halwa as a prasad which you can take back home Oh I see I see okay okay so your grandmother would bring halwa would she also leave having received something or would she only bring something to give Only something to give it's always about the deed Okay and then the those who who leave having received something it's just those are people who are in need No it's 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 for ev- anyone and everyone who comes in for worship it's not not based on who needs it or what it's just a blessing in the form of a blessing that you're receiving something and you take back home and you eat it at the same time I see I see I see Did you have any temples in your home or were they all places that she would go to Yeah we she did make a temple in our home where we lived and mm-hmm. she was the primary maintainer of that temple mm-hmm. um and sometimes if she if she did not have to even offer but she would make it just because we were craving for it yeah so, <laughs> so she would just randomly make it and i could smell the aroma from uh, from my room so we lived in a duplex uh, apartment i could smell it upstairs from my room oh <laughs> like my the halwa is being cooked <laughs> oh and you would run downstairs <laughs> oh yes i'm like mama has prepared halwa i need it right now <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> now, you also said you ate it around auspicious events or holidays. So tell me yes. what were some of those? What were some of those? Okay, so one of the auspicious occasions is like we, so you know how India is uh, uh, various traditions. So we have this festival, uh, which is of uh, nine days fast, mm -hmm. which people worship goddesses. And we have every day, which is dedicated to one goddess worship. The eighth day usually is uh, the day when the girls, uh, they are, you know, worship. If I may say worship, they are offered this prasad and they are given this. Usually it is made on the eighth day where everyone has it with a lot of joy and they celebrate it. Mm. It's, it's, it's a colorful day. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty cool that you have events that particularly celebrate girls and women. Yes, yes. That day particularly does. Yeah. Now, you said that your grandmother's halwa is the best. What makes hers the best? <laughs> okay. So, uh, I have tasted many halwas in my life, you know, um, mm -hmm. whether it be it from my relatives or other people or from temples I've visited, but it never feels the same, you know. Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother, that the halwa that she makes is just perfect in the texture, mm. the sweetness, it's its never too sweet or never less. It's just mm. there on mm. point. Mm. And <laughs> the color is just perfect. It's never burnt or it's mm. its not light. Sometimes people would also make a very dry or a very liquidy halwa. Hers mm. would never be that way. And the fun part, or if I may say the genius part behind this is mm. she would never taste her halwa as such. She would do it so effortlessly that it wouldn't feel like work as in you know what I mean mm. it would feel like it's just pure mm. bliss and just most importantly yeah most importantly one thing that makes it really really special is the feeling of nostalgia and all the childhood memories that brings it brings along with it for me oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely mm. yeah not just of eating it and not just this particular um occasion but even just the mundane and the simple of just watching her make it exactly exactly so you know anyone you know anyone can try and follow the recipe uh, mm -hmm. that she has but no one can replicate the feeling of nostalgia and you know the childhood memories that we have because mm -hmm. of her halwa so I also like to associate it with this very famous um, saying that Maya Angelou the famous writer, she said, mm -hmm. you know, the people will forget what you said. The people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That's how halwa gives, like, is a feeling, you know. It mm. it gives that feeling of nostalgia. It gives that feeling of pure bliss. Mm. It's a physical representation of your grandmother's love. <laughs> yes. Mm. I did. I did actually want to go back and ask one more question about the recipe, which is, do you know why um, it's important for it to be whole wheat flour? Is that just something that's more prevalent in India or is there a particular reason it needs to be whole wheat flour? Uh, yes. So this is also made with uh, another flour, but there are variants for this, but the one that I like is made with whole wheat flour and whole wheat flour is primarily found in India because a staple food rotis, if mm. the flat breads, mm -hmm. it's usually made with whole wheat flour. So mm. 
there are two types of halwas. This is the one that usually I like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, it kind of, it stands up to the ghee. It has a little bit of a heartier flavor, I think. Yes. <laughs> mm. Well, let's transition a little bit. So, so like I said, to me, it's this huge act of courage that you left and went to Australia. But as I think about it, and I think about earlier in the conversation, it kind of occurs to me that this is almost something in the DNA of Indian women, just in the sense that, <laughs> you know, it's a long-standing cultural tradition to make a massive change in your life at some point. In some ways, I wonder if Indian girls were raised, if you were raised to know, like, at some point, you'll leave this behind. Oh, yes, absolutely. We were mm. always prepared. That's the culture um, mm. where uh, we as girls are, we know from childhood that one day we'll be leaving our homes and we will be make, settling in another home and we would call it home. It's the mostly the idea is where as, as a woman, you go and make a home because mm. that's when that's what women do the best. Women are the makers. Mm. Mm. So it was really put as it wasn't put as a loss. Like you'll leave this. It was like this. No, go build no. with your life. You're going to go build a home. Yes, we're going to build a home. Mm. Yeah, that's that's what we were taught, and that's what uh, value we were brought up with. Yeah. Mm. And do you feel like that value is important to you to go and build a home? Yeah, I think uh, when you grow up with uh, certain values and you believe in them, I think mm -hmm. that resonates and translates into what you think as an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think of it as a bad way. I think of it as an empowering uh, thing for me that mm. I am building a home. I am being myself. Mm. It's not like we have any restrictions or you're taught that you will be restricted or you know, mm -hmm. you're going to have limitations or, or any boundaries. But it's it's a nice feeling to be able to give in that power that you're going to start a family, you're going to build a, a new home, you're going to make a new family, uh, not a new family, but you will have an added family with mm -hmm. added responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have four boys. <laughs> oh, yes, I do know that. <laughs> boys can tend to be destructive at times. <laughs> I've, it's one thing to want to, you know, watch a building blow up and demolition, but sometimes to just destroy just for the sake of destroy. I just tell them, like, mm -hmm. God made us to produce, to make things, you know, to contribute to the world not to destroy, right. you know, and the yeah. way that you're describing that is really quite, quite beautiful. I really appreciate that Thank perspective. You. <laughs> mm -hmm. So did moving to Australia have anything to do with getting married or was it totally separate? Yes, I moved after marriage. So my husband's, uh, yeah, my husband's living here. He's a wonderful, kind-hearted man. Mm. Um, we have been married for two years now. I moved to Australia around one and a half year ago. Wow. It's, it's been a good transition. It's It's been really nice and very welcoming. Mm. We recently celebrated our uh, second year anniversary last week. Well, congratulations on two years then. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do you anticipate this being a permanent move or do you anticipate it being more temporary? Uh, no, I kind of have settled well in Australia. We have a good life here. I think it's going to be permanent, but who knows uh, what future for holds for us. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have extended family there in Australia? 
Yes. So my husband's brother, my so my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, and their two wonderful kids. So we have a family, that extended family, who we visit quite often on weekends, like nice. every weekend mostly. Yeah. Okay. And do you work outside of your home there? Yes, I do work. Okay. So I have been professionally qualified as a corporate secretary. Oh. Um, I have experience in corporate laws and corporate governance uh, working back home in India. But when I moved here, I, I had to just to enhance my people skills and culturally, I am working in a customer engagement role and also volunteering for various non not-for-profit organizations. Oh, wow. So you're very busy. Yes, I'm so busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also uh, working side by side on uh, developing and uh, enhancing my food photography and eventually mm. aim to start my own blog. Oh, wonderful. Is there a large Indian community there besides your family? And has that helped with the adjustment or is that not so important to you? It is. So, you so you know, you, you can generically say that Indians are everywhere. Yeah. Every part of the world, you will find Indians. <laughs> we do have a very good Indian community here who have been friends of my uh, extended family and my husband's, husband's as well because he has studied his uni from uh, Australia. So we, good, we do have a good Indian community and good friend circle. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I'm happy to. So it doesn't feel doesn't feel lonely or doesn't feel uh, as if I'm just uprooted from my country or heritage. <laughs> right, right. And I notice you already make you still make halwa. Yes, I do. Oh, so we do uh, celebrate and just uh, our traditions, our customs. We do everything together like we used to do in India. The community here, we we try to celebrate and uh, keep up with the culture and customs, like occasions of Diwali or any small festivals we try to celebrate. That's that's wonderful. Hmm. What are um, what are some things that maybe you've come to love about Australia? Okay. Uh, so the adjustment, uh, I would say, hasn't been hard uh, moving from my country to Australia. It's it's a very beautiful country. But the hardest thing, I think, would be I miss the food, the street food, uh-huh. the culture. India is so, so good at street food and the culture and the, uh-huh. just the whole vibe, the color, the festivals, you know. Yeah. It's, the unity among the people there, like we all celebrate everything together. Mm-hmm. The whole vibe is is just too beautiful. Mm-hmm. Also, um, what was hard to adjust here when I really like when I first got to Australia <laughs> was the, was the Australian accent and the slangs. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like a different English. Oh my God, tell me about it. So Australians also love to make short forms of everything they possibly can. Yes, they shorten everything. So, you know, like for example, you know, service station becomes servo. Um, Registration would become rego. uh, Chocolate chocolate would become chalky. Biscuit becomes bicky. (laughs) And to just sum it all, Australian becomes Aussie. That's so funny. So you just have to take that first syllable and try to interpret what it would be if you drew it out. That's so funny. <laughs> so when when would you say is the next time you plan to make halwa? 
so like i said we usually make halwa on auspicious occasions mm-hmm. when we try when we celebrate or is, if there is a festival i think earliest i would make for sure would be i think diwali mm-hmm. in this year or even when simply i'm craving for it like just yeah. last month i i made halwa and just simply when when someone starts to crave for it i don't hesitate <laughs> <laughs> You're always looking for an opportunity to be called. I do, I do. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or share? Just that it has been beautiful to t- speak to you. I know it has been a difficult time for you transitioning uh, your account being hacked <laughs> and everything. It was it's it's very nice that you made time for this and you're doing a wonderful job by by this whole concept when i first uh, saw this uh, as in i when i first saw your page about storied recipe i it 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 instantly resonated with me that mm. you know i associate food with memories yes. so even the page that i have started the food rumblings mm. it's it was started with the intention of weaving stories through food mm, and mm. connect with like-minded food lovers in the community well, so it's nice yes it's been super enriching for me to hear about this and your experience and think about your grandmother when i grumble about making dinner for my six tonight i'll think about her making it for 20 <laughs> <laughs> why did why did you choose the handle food rumblings Oh that's an interesting question no one has even asked me about that. Oh. Uh, so I was looking for a very um, different name. I did not want a very generic name. I I knew that I wanted to start a page related to food but I wanted to also have a catchy name in terms of people should understand by reading the name that they should know that it's 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 related to food at the same time they should be able to feel it. you know the feeling mm. is important so that's how i said you have cravings for food your mm. stomach grumbles mm-hmm. but food rumbles <laughs> so you mm. have food rumblings in your tummy <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you that's your instagram account are you other are you other places online um i am on instagram by the name food rumblings uh, mm-hmm. there is a facebook page also by the same name mm-hmm. uh but i am also working on a blog which should should, should start soon because i'm working on all the back end th- that goes with it but yeah food rumblings uh, instagram is the main handle that people can reach me out to well that's For very now. Yeah, that's very exciting <laughs> and I'm thrilled that I found you on there and I'm really thankful that you told me about Halwa and your grandmother. Thank you so much. Thank you so much Becky. It was so great talking to you. Yeah, and I also just want to say also again, I really do appreciate that perspective that you brought on just going and building. I feel like I'm going to be really ruminating on that today instead of um <laughs> instead of kind of allowing myself to be exhausted by the tasks <laughs> oh, and yes. by the struggles to really that word build is such a positive and productive word i really appreciate that it i it it is actually a very powerful word if you think about it like you can say the word uh, every day just to remind yourself that you are here to build and make an impact in the whole yeah. world also for your family yes Yeah, I really yeah. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, Karishma. <laughs> thank you so much, Becky. It was so good talk talking. 
Likewise. Have a good evening, okay? You too. Bye-bye. Take okay, care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to Karishma. A reminder that her contact information and her grandmother's halva recipe are on the blog. Thank you all so much for being patient with me as we vacationed and I missed two weeks of the podcast. Next week, I am very much prepared and excited to share with you the things that I learned since I was hacked, the ways that this event pruned me and my business in painful but oh so necessary ways. With that episode, I will be releasing a couple of resources to help you defend yourselves from such a malicious hack and take advantage of the lessons that I've learned, but hopefully with a little less pain. So please make sure you subscribe to the podcast now to get next week's episode. You can also always go to my website and sign up to the newsletter to make sure you receive access to those resources. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, would you please share share it? Download others. My September numbers are a little down thanks to my necessary vacation. And as always, please leave a review. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.